Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Dover wanted to hear Rick Allen calling the win for Kyle Larson. Welcome to NASCAR America. Dale Jarrett, and Professor Nate Ryan. I'm Steve Latart. So, Kyle Larson, we talked about the round of 12. It was going to be more difficult for all of the drivers, the pressure for the drivers at the bottom to gain points. The only thing better than gaining points is getting the win. That's the easiest way through. Not that there's anything easy about winning at Dover, uh, especially when you haven't done it in 75 races, haven't won anywhere in 75 races uh, like Kyle Larson. But uh, he found some things yesterday, made a little adjustment in his driving style. They had a better race car. Uh, just just did everything that he needed to do and uh, was able to go to victory lane and now move into the round of eight. Yeah, it was tested at times in, in traffic, and you heard Rick say that the farthest Chip Ganassi racing has ever been was to this round. Now the 42 will be into the round eight. Yeah, I think now we find out. Always the question is, if he gets to Homestead Miami Speedway, would he be the favorite to win the championship? We might find out this year. And I'm sad I didn't go to Dover because a week ago, you sat right there and picked Kyle Larson. So ah. would have been a good week to hang around with you uh, in Dover. I Is that think. why you made that he quick trip back over to yeah. the hotel? And <laughs> Maybe. No, but I will say there. it was a good fantasy week in, 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 in my world. <laughs> yeah, good yeah. fantasy week. And it was a good week for <laughs> Kyle Larson. There was a lot going on throughout the race. That's kind of relive kind of what he had going on. You see him at the top in bright yellow, Truex in second. Denny Hamlin, Kyle Busch, who actually had a great recovery from an average day. Kevin Harvick as well. It was quite the day. You said nothing easy about it. It's never easy to tame the monster. Let's take a look at how Kyle Larson pulled it off. Ready, ready, green, 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 green. Bumper, bumper, clear. Half back, one to Lord. All clear exit. Definitely the best we've been. Go, 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 all the way, all the way, all the way. Do not speed, do not speed. Be on your toes, these guys are getting dicey up here. 34 is going to be holding up the bottom lane, about eight in front. Kirk, let me go and play blocker, that'd be nice. I got you, bud, I got you. Settle down, just focus forward here. All right, bud, deep breath, nice and smooth. Come back flat, 367. Get yourself around, get yourself around. Door, quarter, bumper, clear, all clear. Four cars between us, half straightaway gap, white flag, nice and smooth. Bring it on home, he'll never get to you. Nice and easy, buddy, no pressure. Just off the two. Hell yeah, buddy, congrats. Awesome job today, brother. We want more money counted, so big group, awesome job. Way to fight all year long. Come back here and win on that way. It's pretty awesome. You know, I feel like a lot of times here, you know, I charge the corner so hard and use brake, and I think that just overheats the fronts. Um, so I just started lifting earlier, using no brake at all to try and keep keep the tires cool, cooler. 
I don't know if it works or not, you know, without seeing any tire data. Just try to really be patient, drive patiently, and I feel like it paid off. How excited are you to go to Talladega now? <laughs> I'm pumped. <laughs> Last time I was there, you know, I ended up on, on my lid, and uh, I mean, I still could do the same thing yeah. next week, but I'll be flipping through the air with a <laughs> smile on my face. Well, Kyle Larson doubles down on the fact that drivers are not normal. I'll be flipping through the air with a smile on my face. DJ, what I was the most impressed about with Kyle Larson at Dover was his ability to move around. But he had some interesting comments about how he had to drive the track differently. A smart Kyle Larson, a more experienced Kyle Larson, has turned into a dangerous Kyle Larson. Yeah, and he'll get even smarter and not tell everybody his secrets. <laughs> but we appreciate him talking to us. You know, he mentioned uh, in his Victory Lane interview uh, that he had made an adjustment to his driving style after stage one. And so Kyle Petty and I looked at each other listening to this, and it's like we have to ask him about this and see if he'll tell us what that adjustment might have been. And I'll be quite honest. There were a few times watching that race throughout the afternoon, I was wondering – was Kyle Larson actually in this 42 car because I kept expecting him to move up, move up the racetrack. Best race I've seen him drive in a long time. Uh, around the bottom, making that adjustment. Uh, a lot of times, you kind of have to, there's times you, you've heard, heard somebody say, I slowed down to go faster. Well, that's exactly what he did. Uh, not only did he go faster, he went faster for a longer period of time by not abusing his race car. And I think this is a more mature, a smarter Kyle Larson. I think all of this goes back uh, a number of weeks ago, uh, when he tore up a couple of race cars uh, in practice, uh, and that created problems for him and his team. Uh, he was having to start cars, uh, start races. Uh, this was at New Hampshire. Uh, had to start races with backup cars. He didn't have any time on. Uh, he was creating extra work. But you know, as a crew chief, when a driver's tearing up race cars, then you. You, you might be building new stuff, but you can't incorporate that uh, into something for the next week. So I've seen a different Kyle Larson since that time. I think he was upset with himself in that he was tearing up race cars and he wasn't getting the most out of his cars. I think in turn, they've made the cars better. He mentioned that yesterday in explaining his explanation to me about this and, and maybe what I'd seen. But I think he's also started to understand that you can't drive these cars 110% every single lap that you're on the racetrack. And because you're gonna make a mistake somewhere, sometime, that's gonna cost you. And so we've seen him be a lot smarter driver and I think it's gonna pay big dividends. I think people forgot how rough of a start it was in 2019 for the 42 car. Um, bad luck, mistakes, issues, you name it, it's happened. And, and in my experience, Nate, I sometimes find that it takes a team, you know the, the old cliche, you have to win one before you lose one. I don't know about all that but you definitely have to experience the lows to appreciate the highs. And I think that's what we're seeing out of the 42, right? right. Is they had weeks that they couldn't get to the finish to try to win a race. <laughs> so now when they have a good car, it seems like Kyle Larson was just more patient and let the race come to him. And DJ reminded me earlier today, Stevie, that uh, Kyle Larson was really good the first half of 2018. I mean, they were the best Chevrolet for a, a solid few months there at the start of 2018. And it has been fairly dismal really since the middle part of last season. And I think you're right, Steve. I think things just didn't go well starting off this year. I think that juxtaposed with Kurt Busch joining the organization, winning a race at Kentucky, and everybody, and Kyle Larson's deferential to him. I mean, everybody knows that his leadership really transformed Ganassi and made them better this year, but I, I don't think Kyle Larson took umbrage at that, but I think that probably coupled with the fact that 
two-year winless drought and how long have we been talking about Kyle Larson and potential and that chance to be a winner and you know I don't know if it was I love your guys' opinion was it is it somebody at Ganassi internally pulling him aside to get him in the direction that DJ's talking about be a smarter racer or is it just the weight of you know four or five seasons of all these expectations finally hey I gotta be better listen I I was a 25 year old crew chief for a hall of famer and Jeff Gordon I could have everybody in the world tell me what I should have done and I couldn't do it you have to go and experience it yourself. And I think it's the same thing that happened to Kyle Larson. When we say, well, veteran experience. Well, what is veteran experience? Veteran experience is mistakes. It's races you should have won. It's cars you shouldn't have crashed. That all goes into it. The value of a veteran is that you aren't paying for all those mistakes. Chip Ganassi has paid for them and stuck behind his driver. I applaud Chip. Chip is a very strong-willed owner who has never spoke badly about Kyle Larson. He's poked at him a little bit but always supported his driver, and now he's finally getting some fruit back on those dividends. Yeah, and I think that there was probably some time along the way that that Chip Ganassi and his way, his way is not calling him out uh, in front of everybody in his uh, sessions with the media. It would be behind closed doors that, hey, just think about this a little bit. You know, maybe after he tore those cars up, hey, you know, you realize that if we worked on these cars a little bit more instead of having to get a backup out, that, that we might could be making more progress. And and I think, again, just pulling those reins out. He is so talented. I mean, I, the guy, when you need to go 110%, put it out there. You know, yeah. have to do that when you've got to do that. He has that ability in him, but you can't do that as a race driver every single lap and expect things to go well all the time. So I think that there probably were conversations, uh, but I think the other side of it is it's just experiencing yeah. that that low. You know, we have not talked much about Kyle Larson uh, simply for the fact that there were other drivers that were winning a lot of races to be talking about. And, and when you were kind of in that conversation and then all of a sudden you're not for a year or so, then you start saying, okay, there's some. I need to make some changes. I can't work on the car, but I can change my driving style and, and adapt to that, and I think he's doing that. Well, those changes also kept us from talking about Kyle Larson in the round of 16 because he had a really uneventful round, yet it worked. And I mm-hmm. think that's what mm-hmm. anybody's right. looking for. When you change your approach is one thing, but you have to see something happen. And what Kyle Larson said, you said last week, I sat here and said, hey, it's going to be his week. This could be his week. I couldn't put my finger on the thing but there was just a culmination of things. It was running seventh with a seventh-place car, not hitting the wall. So he has accomplished that. He has gone back to victory lane. Now the question is, right. can he make Miami? Um, I'll be the Eeyore. I'll bring up the round of eight. <laughs> I'll be the grumpy guy in the group. Listen, the round of eight doesn't line up well no. for Kyle Larson. No. Those tracks just don't – I mean, they don't suit him. Martinsville Speedway, one top 10, 11 starts. Texas, 4-12. and 12. Phoenix, perhaps his best bet with 5 and 11 starts. The one thing I will say is who will he be there racing? You know, Kyle Larson winning right here puts pressure on everyone within the playoff field because he has taken that guarantee spot. And um, I don't know, this playoff format has always shocked me, so why can he not be at Miami? Yeah, I, can, I can get him there. I think the fact that we always talk about him is if he gets to Miami, then maybe it was like we always said about Jimmy Johnson. If he can get to that third round, then he might get to the championship round. He's only been in the championship round once, but when he got there, he won the championship. I think the same somewhat applies to Larson. And uh, I think that now he's lurking out there. Probably the other contenders are mindful of that, that, hey, he's going to be a factor in the round of eight. He could be racing for the title. But what I love about Kyle Larson, one of the things I love about him is he's honest to a fault. And we heard him say about Talladega, hey, I'm going to be flipping through the air with a smile on my face. I don't care about the rest of these guys. He also said right after he won, 
I'm worried about Martinsville. And I think Martinsville is the big hurdle, obviously, for this team in the round of eight. Because I think it's going to be really difficult to point their way to the championship round with all the competition they've got there. That may be true, but as much as the fans want to think that these teams have endless supply of energy, they don't. But what they do have is time. The one thing you can't buy is time. You can't buy it. It's impossible. Yeah. Well, they're the only team. There's a few on points that think they're through, but you can't look ahead too much. Kyle Larson can look ahead. Kyle Larson, Jack announced, I sat down in the last week, and we talked about that championship that Jimmy Johnson won that you mentioned when he got to Miami. And he said, when we won that first race, I might as well not have went to the last two races because I was focused on Miami. That's why we were so good there that year. Yeah. Chad Johnson, listen to the podcast because I think that's the approach he should take. Whether it's Martinsville, Texas, Phoenix, or all three, he might go to Talladega because he's required. But much like the smile that's going to be on Kyle Larson's face, I don't think there's going to be much Talladega on Chad Johnson, his crew chief's mind. He's going to be looking ahead. But we're, I mean, you've won Martinsville before. Can Chad Johnson take two weeks and turn Kyle Larson into a top five finisher or winner at Martinsville? Yeah, you know, I think what he can do is he can turn him into a top five driver there. And, and the same approach that he used to backing off and not using as much brake, if he'd watched Denny Hamlin drive Martinsville, you don't ever see Denny Hamlin's car nose down to, on the front well, now because the he uses so there to get, to yes. your point. That, I think so you have that. Hey, right. think about what you did by staying off of the, the brakes so much mm -hmm. and upsetting the car, letting the tires in your chassis do the work. There's a lot that can happen there, and you might find a whole different driver. I know Jeff Gordon kind of experienced the same thing early in his career at Martinsville, charging the corner. It's so easy to do. I still did the same stupid things later in my career uh, at that place. But whenever I was smart enough to and got the car good enough to, to do those things, you can make a lot of time around it. So I think he can have a manageable deal. I just think the problem with trying to point your way through there, it's going to depend on who's winning those races uh, in that final uh, segment that we have, those final three races, because Kyle Busch, Martin Truex Jr., Kevin Harvick, and Denny Hamlin have amassed so many playoff points that, that they're going to work their way through there. Uh, are you going to be able to break in there without winning a race? Well, the playoff stand is Kyle Larson is at the top, so you would think he should, without a doubt, get the awards the coolest Larson in Dover. And unfortunately for Kyle Larson, he's the second coolest Larson in Dover because his wife, Caitlin, decided to do a little celebration. So I'm going to give this a B plus form. The only way she could have got an A is not spill any beer. But all I will tell you, gentlemen, is this is what happens when you go on vacation with Clint Boyer. Yeah, yeah. Is, <laughs> this is the bad habits you learn from vacationing with Clint Boyer. And so I, Kyle Larson was asked about that form, and, and here's what he had to say about it. She's gotten some fame, I guess, this year from shotgunning uh, beers. So uh, we've just been holding off on the wind so that she could shotgun one. Yeah, that's like the new, yeah, that's like the new Victory Lane tradition for this yeah. family. That's I could good. shotgun a White Claw, but uh, <laughs> I sure I sure as heck can't, can't Things you shotgun only a beer. Learn here. Things you only learn here. Or, or a Coke. Or I can shotgun a Coke. <laughs> I'm not going to do it right now. Well, two things. If you don't follow... Mrs. Larson on social media, apparently you should, because yeah. this isn't the first time. And the second thing is if you work marketing for Chip Ganassi Racing, there should be White Claw on the hood of that thing at some upcoming race, because yeah, my man just said he's going to shotgun a White Claw, so. Yes, I'll, I'll throw in a third and say that Anheuser-Busch brought cans that said Harvick on them. Maybe they should cans that say Caitlin for the next Larson oh, win, you know? <laughs> Yeah, and she was also smart enough as they got ready to spray the champagne and she had on a nice coat and her <laughs> she got out of the way and went over and did her thing uh, with the beer on the side. So, uh, pretty smart girl. Well done. It's been 75 races in the Cup Series, but she's had a little practice in Victor Lane other places. <laughs> he has been winning some races. But coming up, 
Kyle Larson's victory wasn't the only storyline at Dover. We'll discuss Joey Logano's day and how it led to some harsh criticism from the driver of the 11, Denny Hamlin. Drivers about to climb into their cars and go to battle. Monster Mile. Take in the garage. Take in the garage. Go, go, go. I couldn't hear you at all. Travel in. Must nail that thing to the bottom. Our pitcher my motor Hood is flapping up. Be ready when he falls off. It's perfect up here. You're doing great, though. Doing great. Just keep digging here before you turn. So there's tight border exit. Back full. glimpse into the fun-filled Sunday at Dover. So each and every Monday, we try to point out the turning points throughout the race. And gentlemen, I think we have a record. So when we go back to Dover <laughs> and we look at the turning point, we have a record for the earliest turning point to ever happen in a cup race. And the reason is, it was before the race. The 22 of Joey Logano on the pace laps, pulls onto pit road. We were all in shock, DJ. The team does some inspection has to go to the garage and work on the gear of this car. Yeah, just things that you think, especially in this day and time where parts and pieces are so much better than what they used to be, but it just reminds us once again that these are parts and pieces that can break, and you know, I, I think we're putting it on that it was a, a, something that broke, not a mistake yeah. by someone uh, that made assembling this. Fans have asked me all day on social media, how does this happen? I don't know. I mean, it has to be a faulty piece. I'm sure Team Penske will find out. Right. But then the green flag fell, and right away, the nine of Chase Elliott. Lap eight, right here. You see that correction? That's not a handling issue. That is a power issue. Something is amiss underneath the hood of the nine car. He pulls the bottom of the racetrack. Nine laps in, two playoff contenders having issues. I mean, it's nicknamed the Monster Mile for a reason, right? I mean, it yeah. is supposed to be a test of man and machine in a lot of ways. And, you know, to DJ's point, I think the human element does happen more often at places like Dover, where it is just such a punishing racetrack. Well, it was a monster on equipment, but not a monster for the driver of the 11. Denny Hamlin sat on the pole, went out there, and was on a somewhat contested Sunday drive, doing a nice job working through traffic. It was only here in traffic that you would see the likes of perhaps the 42, the 19. Other cars would kind of work their way up to him. He held all of their charges off, ending up winning stage one, cashing in those 10 very important points that kind of guarantee a good day when it comes to points. Yeah, and, I mean, he's just so solid. He had a fast car. He knew exactly what to do with it. The only time that he really got challenged was whenever they uh, had issues with lap traffic. So we saw Joey Logano go to the garage. 24 laps is what it took this team to change the gear. Here he is on the racetrack, 24 laps down. This is a big point of contention with some of these drivers. Racing the leader, Denny Hamlin, the air was very difficult. All the drivers talked about it. You can see Denny can't get around him. I was wondering why he couldn't go off the racetrack. He mentioned later about how his car was so tight. And in the end, the 19 car got by the 11. Here's what Joey Logano had to say after the race about racing it. He claims there were four or five cars that he could possibly catch trying to get five points. I'm not sure I quite see it that way. The driver of the 22 is on the racetrack. So after the race, though, the simple question is, Denny, what did you think of Joey Logano 
And Denny didn't mince words. He was saying, man, make up positions. What he's talking about, he's 24 laps down. The last line says it all. That's just a stupid statement by an idiot. Now, to give Denny credit, he did backtrack the idiot a little bit. That's what he meant. But then he said, you know what? I'm not going to call Joey an idiot. He's not an idiot, which I agree with. But that was just bad choice to say he's fighting for something. DJ, as a crew chief, I would have been livid if I was a crew chief of the 11. When you look at the final box score, 34th for Joey Logano, two laps behind his nearest competitor, 78 laps in front of Ryan Blaney. I'm sorry, Joey. I know what he says. I don't buy it. He was racing no one in my mind. What does the driver say? Um, he was given bad information somewhere along the uh, way because he that. doesn't know this, you know. Uh, you know, Denny didn't even know that he was that many laps down. So as a driver, you're in here and you know how far you're down. Somebody telling him that there's four or five spots that they can make up is giving him bad information and setting him up to get himself in a bad situation and make a bad decision. And that's what Joey Logano did right here. Bad decision. He passes the lap car. He should have just moved up, let the leader go on. He's going to be in that situation sometime, and he's going to be mad about somebody holding him up or putting him in a bad position. And not only is he going to have to work around and with Denny Hamlin the, the rest of these playoffs. But other drivers saw exactly what they're going to get with Joey Logano, so it's going to open their eyes to the fact that this is how Joey Logano races. But he's put it out there before. This, I mean, he's a hard racer. I don't have any problems when he's on the lead lap or trying to get a lap back or trying to hold on to being one lap down, but 24 laps down, no excuse. I have no issue with hard racing when you're in the race, but he wasn't in the race. I do question what you said, though, about bad information. I put myself in the seat of Todd Gordon, you know, the, the drivers don't have computers in their cars, and they, they don't know timing and scoring. So I'm going to put this on the entire team because in my heart of hearts, I can't believe Joey Logano did this completely on his own, whether it's TJ Majors on the roof, Todd Gordon on the box. Someone should have been encouraging him to remove himself from the situation. It didn't happen. So what's your take on how he raced the 11? Is it acceptable? I, I, well, I think there's a few ways to look at it. First of all, I'm different from you guys. I've not been a crew chief, not been a driver. If I was in this situation, I wouldn't race these guys. I wouldn't tell my driver to race these guys. But I can look at it from Joey Logano's perspective and sort of understand it. I mean, to DJ's point, Joey Logano tends to be ruthless in the way he races and drives people. And he makes no apologies for that. And it's, it's won him a championship. It's won him a lot of races. And I don't know if he cares what other guys think. Uh, I think DJ's right. There could be repercussions with that. But I think he's prepared to live with those, or at least that's what he's told us before, whether, you know, go back to Martinsville last year with knocking Truex out of the way. I'm only thinking about Miami. I know he's going to be upset with me. I don't care. I think there's a certain selfish side to him uh, that benefits him most of the time, and maybe in this instance manifests itself in a negative way. So the gambler in me totally understands risk versus reward. The move at Martinsville was aggressive, but the reward was a trip to the championship four. Right. I see no reward here. None. That's my struggle. Unless, it's all risk. Uh, what if those points... Do come back into play, though. Man, that's, right? I mean, man, you're talking about betting on the long short. You, you, it, I mean, you're way on the long short. So here's my point. You talk about aggressive drivers. Jeff Gordon and Matt Kenseth are the cleanest, dirtiest drivers I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I was Jeff Gordon's crew chief. We know. We all but fought one day at New yeah. Hampshire. <laughs> my point is they hit as many as anyone. They moved as many as anyone. They are as hard to pass as Ryan Newman. They're as ruthless as Joey Logano, yet they never did something so outrageous that the entire field saw. They might make Dale Jarrett mad, yeah. but in that same race, he didn't make Rusty Wallace mad, didn't make Dale Sr. mad. The problem I have with Joey Logano is what DJ said. 
the whole field has seen this now, right? I mean, I think that's my concern. But from the team perspective, if you look at the cars that are in front of Logano, like the next four or five cars, they're weak cars. They're cars that could lose laps during the course of a race. Maybe they only lose two or three laps. And maybe every lap Joey Logano is trying to make up is important because... I mean, let's face it, Talladega is in this round. So I would think that even though this is a first-round race at Dover, they might be treating it like a cut race. And maybe that's why Joe Lugano raced the way he did, because points are gonna, might matter even more after next week at Talladega. I think he could have made everybody happy and still be tied. That's my take I, on it. I just, you know, and, and we say it more than anybody else, more than the drivers, more than the crew chiefs. Every point matters. But there's a time that you have to just make a reasonable decision that – out of the leader's way. I'm sorry. You're going to be in that situation. You've probably been in that situation to where all you want is the respect of being the leader and someone that – and I look at it as somebody that's two laps down sometimes should yield and, and get out of the way in that situation. 24 laps down not acceptable. But the only one that has to live with this is Joey Logano and the consequences. And if he's fine, yeah. you know, we can talk and criticize all that we want that we would have made a different decision. He's the one that's going to have to, to deal with this. And if he's fine with that, then so be it. He'll he's have to live with it. Every point matters until Homestead, and that's just what we're going to get on Thursday night. We're going to get the last race in the E-NASCAR iRacing Series, the championship race. And up next, we're going to be joined by NASCAR President Steve Phelps, we're going to preview this and discuss a few other topics. race in the E-NASCAR Peak Antifreeze iRacing Series. These four drivers will go door to door at Homestead Miami Speedway, and they're going to do it live in a two-hour special telecast right here on NBCSN at 5 o'clock. It's going to be myself, Chris Devota, Parker Kligerman. It is going to be exciting. I can't wait. And let's welcome in NASCAR President Steve Phelps on the phone. Steve, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. How are you guys doing today? Man, we are having a great day. And, Steve, my first question is about this big event on Thursday, the final race for the E-Series and the iRacing. I want to ask your opinion as the president of NASCAR. Where is your opinion on E-NASCAR, this new kind of e-sports phenomenon? We're seeing it gain popularity. This is going to be the first live event. Uh, where does NASCAR stand on it? And you personally, what are your thoughts? Yeah, we're pretty excited about it. So we actually have three different uh, E-NASCAR race series out there, so uh, I'll get to the E-NASCAR Peak Antifreeze iRacing series in a second, but we have two others. We've got our E-NASCAR um, Heat Pro League series, which is a, a console game-based program uh, uh, racing series. Really exciting on the on the uh, uh, NASCAR Heat um, game itself, which is phenomenal. The, the Heat 4 game, uh, really, really strong. Uh, upgrades that the folks at 704 Games have made. So they have their own championship race on October 23rd on the virtual Martinsville Speedway. So that should be really cool. The second series we have 
is part of the iRacing platform, which is the Ignite series, which is for for kids 13 to 16 year olds that have an opportunity to then go up to our eNASCAR Peak Antifreeze iRacing series, which is what is going to be uh, televised live on Thursday, and we are very excited about it. Any opportunity for us to create um, new ways to engage with fans, which is exactly what this does. Um, you know, the, the uh, console game is, is a, obviously a different game than the, the sim game, which is what the iRacing games are. So I'm really excited about what eSports e um, and eNASCAR is doing for, for our sport overall. Yeah, a lot of uh, excitement there, Steve, about the virtual racetrack on Thursday. But uh, the next two days, real-world testing with the next-gen car at Richmond. We got news today that Austin Dillon is going to be uh, testing the new next-gen car at Richmond Raceway uh, Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, This is the car that NASCAR hopes to unveil, I believe, Steve, in the 2021 season. What will this test mean in terms of where you guys are in that process, and do you feel like you're still in that time frame of being able to roll this new next-generation car out in 2021. Yeah, we are very excited about where things are with the with this next-gen car, Nate. Uh, we are on on time for um, for a 2021 rollout. Um, I think we're uh, it's going to be exciting to get it on track. We were in the wind tunnel last week, um, and so having a test at Richmond tomorrow. And Wednesday, um, kind of the culmination of a lot of work that's been done by the race teams, by our OEM partners, by the folks at NASCAR to put this on the racetrack. Um, This particular car was built by Richard Childress and and his folks, and it won't have the design of the Chevy, Ford, and Toyota, but it'll be kind of an opportunity for us to shake down the car, uh, and we're really excited to to get it on on the racetrack. Steve, I know that's going to that everybody's looking forward to that. But let's talk about the changes that were made for this year uh, to the cars, the the new package that we have. Uh, a lot of great racing throughout the year, but as it will be, uh, people will kind of dwell on races that maybe aren't the most compelling. And yesterday's maybe not that uh, as high of entertaining uh, races what we've seen, especially as our part uh, with yeah. NBC. But so many great races. Uh, did you see something, or is there something that you look at at a place like Dover uh, that that created the drivers complaining about uh, having to that that traffic was really a big problem, and that kind of created uh, some issues for them throughout the race? Yeah, I think you know the difficult thing for us, DJ, is as we've talked about many times, is we have you know kind of the one cup race a weekend, and unlike the NBA or you know football, yesterday they had whatever they had, 14 games, 13 games. Um, it's a it's just a different opportunity. So if they have a game that isn't as compelling as another game, they've got you know three or four that really were. We don't, we don't have that. Um, and so what was it about yesterday's race that that some people were complaining about? I think not as many cautions might have had something to do that because we only had the three cautions and two were for stages. Um, with that said, um, I think that the, the opportunity for – and some great storylines coming out of there, uh, the opportunity for, for Kyle Larson to get a win after 75 – opportunities um, for him not to get a win uh, or not get a win, I think is, you know, that part was really compelling. And I think as we head to Talladega, which is a place where storylines are, you know, we're rich in storylines, you know, seeing those folks, those four drivers who are 
below the cut line and the eight that are above the cut line and it just it moves so quickly um i think that you know again overall if you look at our racing for the year uh i think that you know the number of green flag passes the number of passes for the leads um are all up and they're up you know double digits um across the board so i would say you know the average fan that we talked to would say that the racing this year is better than the racing was was last year so um, and again, we have six races to go to crown a champion, and we're really excited about uh, what the opportunity, uh, what it looks like from storyline. Yeah, Steve, my metric is really it's simple. It's, yeah. the, it's the eye test, and it has passed with flying colors. Out the window of the booth has been crazy. I want to talk about the playoffs and the format now in its sixth year. Could NASCAR have ever dreamt when they shook their crystal ball and came up with this format, have these marquee events, the Roval in round one, Talladega in round two, Martinsville in round three, the moments that they have created, the pressure they have created, and perhaps the response to the pressure from the drivers. It seems like this playoff format continues to somehow improve every year when I don't think it can get any better. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. I think it's if we look in the crystal ball, it's certainly what we had hoped for. I don't think we had, frankly, any idea that some of the storylines that have come out from this format uh, have just been just been incredible. And there are uh, opportunities for wa water cooler talk, not just on on Monday mornings, but I mean, we're thinking back, you know, to last year and the year before, and these special moments that are created. Um, as part of this playoff system. So we're thrilled with it. Um, if you look at our research, the fans continue to, in terms of their interest in it and whether they like it or not, that number continues to climb. Uh, and a lot of it just has to do with these phenomenal um, storylines that are being written by the drivers and the pressure that they put on themselves. And, I mean, they feel it, and you can see it. And it's a really, um, it's really a treat just to be able to watch it. Well, Steve, we want to thank you for coming on. I'm going to be the first one to say I, I'm never shy of giving criticism, but I'm also going to get praise, and I'm up there in the booth week in and week out, and week in and week out I see you at the racetrack interacting with the fans. Boots on the ground I think is what helps every sport. It's great to see the president of NASCAR at the races, it's, and it's great to have you on our program. Thanks for joining. Thanks, guys. We really appreciate it. You take care now. Thanks, Steve. Well, coming up, guys, our grassroots tour of 50 states heads to a state where you can munch on delicious crab cakes and check out some exciting dirt racing. Listen, I'm, at, I'm in. Let's go to Maryland next. My name is Shane Wilson. I'm the jackman on the 42 for Kyle Larson. Started a little rough. We did a little bit of adjustment in the car. We ran top five all day. But uh, it was nice and smooth. We came down second on uh, the end of the second stage. And we put him out first, which is really good for us. And uh, he just held it from there, man. Bring it on home. He'll never get to you. Larson wins at the Monster Mile. Putting it in victory lane is great, man. We get to go to the round eight for the first time. And uh, we're just really excited about it. Big win for Shane Wilson and the rest of the 42 team Sunday at Dover. And guys, this was a home race for Shane. He grew up in Edgewater, Maryland, about 60 miles from the Monster. And Nate? Maryland is the next stop on our grassroots racing tour. That's right, Steve. In the town of Mechanicsville is where you'll find Potomac Speedway. This three-eighths of a mile high-banked clay oval has been home to exciting racing since 1973. Local legend David Williams has won multiple super late model titles at Potomac and is also a member of the Maryland Stock Car Hall of Fame. 
Potomac is one of the tracks that hosts the Battle of the Bay, which takes place at four tracks in four nights in three different states. And this weekend, you can check out the Rumble on the River Small Car Nationals. Y'all had me at Crab Cakes. Crab Cakes and Racetrack, <laughs> how could that be good? You know the best part of this grassroots tour? is that not only did I learn about new racetracks, but I've learned that every racetrack has a hometown hero and a big yeah. event. Yeah. And, and that's my new retirement bucket list, is the year that I no longer have a job throughout the year, hopefully years and years from now if my bosses are listening, <laughs> I'm gonna put the bucket list together and go to all of these little short track yeah. big events. A lot of great events out there. I mean, so many you can't miss. Well, coming up, we're gonna go through the field with more reaction from Dover. We're gonna hear from Kyle Busch, William Byron, Alex Bowman. You know, entered the race 19 points up on the cutoff, and we're leaving 20. So uh, we held serve. It's a long day to hold serve. You know, you always want to win, but you ground out some points today, and and hopefully uh, that's a good start to the round. Ever had anything like that happen even before the green, Joey? I feel like I have. I tried to erase them from my mind. Yeah, it didn't really seem like anything was off. We're just kind of making laps, and and then obviously had a had a failure. So unfortunate way to to start this round for sure. Certainly felt like after the first half, had a great opportunity to win the race. We just, you know, I, I made a mistake there, and then we just missed it on the on the setup there towards the end. All the other speeds were fine. Just that first section. It's gonna hurt this segment. It's not gonna hurt our day. We'll be fine. We just miscalculated the fact that we could go hard all the way to the to the out, outline and um, assuming that, that we were going to be okay and we weren't. So uh, that's a huge bummer for us. It felt like I had to pass the same guys over and over again um, after a couple bad restarts and that issue on pit road. Stage two, got that stage win and then had a pit stop you know, issue and lost track position and we just, the whole third stage we were behind and we were getting catching them at the end. We got close. It's cool to come home second after that as hard as it was to pass today. Pretty uneventful day. Unfortunately, it wasn't. Uh, it was virtually impossible to pass Kelly. Like literally, almost impossible. <laughs> this racing is awesome. Uh, you get in situations in dirty air uh, with the high down force is a lot harder to pass. It's a challenge to pass, and then the cars are so aero sensitive. If somebody's really good at looking in the mirror and mirror driving you, I think they can hold you there for a long time. Talladega won't be that way. You can just as easily get passes. His pass is flip, so. Talladega is a wild card for sure. We had a good Daytona, so. I mean, we're going there thinking we're going to win the race, and uh, I'm excited about it. So now we have two racetracks. we got to be perfect. Yeah, we're obviously not must win, but uh, we must do good. <laughs> That's for sure. Next week's going to be a lot of fun as well, and we just got to stay out of trouble and, and make it to the finish there and have a shot at winning it. All right, guys, I'm going to start with Alex Bowman, the last driver we heard from right there. Second in the spring. I had criticism. I heard he finished second at all these tracks. <laughs> that was the spring. This is the fall. Could he go back? Could he back it up? Prove me wrong. He ran third. Yeah, uh, he showed me things that I wasn't sure that he had uh, in him. From those last 20 laps of the Roval and then a solid 400 miles yesterday, did everything that he needed to do to position himself in a good spot to try to move into the round of eight. Very impressive. Yeah, he backed it up, and I'm impressed that they've had two really strong weeks now after having a slump of like a couple of months. But, I mean, even 17 points up, Talladega is still looming. 
So at the risk of losing my Nostradamus hat from last week where I said it was going to be a big week for Kyle Larson, I'm going to move on to another Kyle and Kyle Busch. A sixth-place finish at Dover shouldn't move the needle. Speeding at lap 122 shouldn't be a big deal. I challenge you all in five weeks to look back at Dover, a track where every driver was frustrated with how hard it was to pass. Kyle Busch, the most vocal about that all year long, had a penalty. I heard very little. He focused with a car that wasn't good all weekend long and put together one of his better drives to just run sixth. No one else may notice a sixth of Kyle Busch meaning something. He had to protect his points lead. He did it. I'm going to tell you, I think what I saw out of Kyle Busch today, the rest of the competition should be a touch worried. That wasn't an emotional Kyle Busch. That was a calculating Kyle Busch. That becomes a much more dangerous Kyle Busch behind the wheel. And we heard a little frustration from him during the race. So clearly he was he he fought through it. And I'll give him a lot of credit. I mean, he was not looking forward to Dover when we talked to him before this race. And we, we well documented his frustrations about this place in May. And I think you're right, Stevie. I think he gets out of there and he's still 48 points up. I, I still don't see any way... Kyle Busch doesn't make the championship round. And I feel like Talladega still is there, and he doesn't really like racing there either. But once he gets past this weekend, DJ, I think he's sailing. You know, I think a lot of his ability as a race car driver, and I agree with you that he seemed rather calm in coming back and making a sixth-place finish out of that. And I'm going to give you the fact that I think he'll be one of the four because he's done the body of work throughout the season and will get himself there. He still can't, at this point in time, outrun his two teammates in Denny Hamlin and Martin Truex Jr. So he's got, he might have found a little bit of peace inside and a little bit of calmness inside, but he better find some speed if he's going to deal with those two guys. He couldn't, but he spotted them both a speeding pedal and got all the way to Denny's bumper at Dover. So maybe, maybe. I agree. He needs to find a little speed. All right, let's talk about the 21-year-old, the driver of the 24 I was a little hard on him, said you can't speed when you get into the playoffs. He gave us some good sound after the race, explaining that perhaps this one wasn't only on the driver. Why he was the guy pushing the pedal, the team did a little calculation. So if we go back and look, he's at the almost the end of pit road, I think a pit stall too. So when he leaves, he is hard now. Look, he doesn't even try to get the pit road speed. That's because there's a 25-foot section from that yellow line back. That's the last pit road speed. All of these teams calculate the rate of acceleration. How much can you really accelerate? Chad Knauss and this team, I believe, told William Byron, listen, from here, you go as hard as you can. You cannot be too fast in the last 25-foot section. The disappointment I saw in Chad Knauss' face that I thought was perhaps at his driver might be a little at himself and his race team and said, I didn't think he could accelerate that good. He proved us wrong. I'm going to give uh, William Byron a free pass on this one. Yeah, I, I was stunned that he got docked there because I didn't think there was any way you could speed at that part of pit road, that, that they would have a 25-foot section that they're monitoring. I, I think that is something the team, if they didn't convey that or like really study that, hey, William Byron needs to know that you can't speed out there because I think a driver generally would think, hey, if I'm at the end, this far down pit road, I should be able to stomp the accelerator as hard as I want. There's no way they'll catch me. I think they knew there was a loop. I just didn't think they think they could get over the average speed in that session. Yeah. He just came off the roval and having to accelerate. Maybe so maybe he's better now than what he was, what they thought that he could be. There was. And, you know, Clint Boyer heard from sound from him. I think he called it right. It was basically an uneventful day. He finished 10th in the second stage, 10th in the race. He's the kind of driver I was looking to make up points. He didn't mm. really do that. I'm not saying I'm concerned, but 
They've got to be good on Friday for Clint Boyer to have a good weekend, and they had problems starting on Friday uh, that, that relegated them. They never found the speed because they were working on a mechanical issue, and when they don't have a good solid Friday, seldom they had a good race. And even Ryan Blaney at minus 22, I'm not even going to say must win for him. 22 points is nothing. That can be made up at Talladega alone. And Talladega is really good for both those guys. They're yeah. Ford guys. Ford has strength in numbers. Stuart Haas dominated the Talladega race a year ago, so I think Boyer and Blaney both can look at yeah, Sunday Yeah, it's unfortunate. Uh, Blaney was the best car out of that Penske deal yesterday and had a good, solid top 10 run going and to have something break them. It was a good sales pitch, but nobody says Talladega is a good race for us. They're all scared <laughs> to death to be here. And up next, we're going to look ahead at why. Why is everyone so worried about Talladega? All the craziness we expect to see. Welcome back to NASCAR America. Some news today. Rodney Childers, crew chief for Kevin Harvick, re-signing with the team multi-year deal. So congratulations to the crew chief and the number four. I'm not sure who his agent was, but he should have called me because that was a pretty easy sell. I hope this was a lifetime contract <laughs> with this one because he needs to be there if he's ready to quit. Well, you talk about quitting, it's going to drive some people to quit. We talked about the craziness of Talladega. So as a crew chief, even crew chiefing for Dale Earnhardt Jr., I've never felt good about going to Talladega because so much is dependent on others. That was my problem. Uh, and perhaps as a crew chief, I had the least to do. That's not completely true because I think track position matters. These races are still won from the front. But, DJ, you've had success there. Of the guys here on the table, you're the only one that's had to drive into this chaos. What is it like <laughs> racing at Talladega? You know, it's something that you either embrace or you don't. And there's no doubt that every driver knows what is at stake and what is there. I think the playoffs have added something to that and for these drivers, these 12 that are still involved there. Obviously, Kyle Larson, as he's stated, he doesn't have any worries. He's going to go there and be happy with whatever happens. But it, there is a level to it. You have to embrace it, understand that something can happen, uh, but you have to race it the way that you want to as a driver, what you feel. I think trying to listen to a spotter or a crew chief tell you where you need to be is the wrong thing. As a driver, you have to make up your mind and be decisive on what you want to do and what you're going to get out of this day. I wrote one word down here that I think has changed plate racing stages. Mm -hmm. yeah. No more cruising around, Nate. These drivers yeah. have to go to collect points. Yeah. And they're going to have to embrace it, like DJ said. The only guy who's fully going to be embracing it is Kyle Larson, as we mentioned. Here's his wreck here in April where he got on his lid, as he put it. Um, I, I think, I believe him. I mean, he's, he's, you can believe him when he says, I will be smiling throughout this race. I think everybody else, to your point, Stevie, sales job, they're going to have to convince themselves that they really want to be here and be racing for points. Winner? Oh, my gosh. Uh, that's a good question, but I'm going to go. Crazy things happen. Joey Logano. Joey Logano, he says, I'm going to let you off. All right, I told you that Caitlin Larson was the all-star. I also told you there was a Boyer behind the whole thing. You see that? <laughs> you see where she learned it. Clint Boyer is the bad influence. <laughs> Great move. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. 
because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz & Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.